Colossians 3 from verse 18. This part of God's word gives us an outline and it says rules for Christian households. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, as it is not only when there is an eye on you and that you win their favour, but will sincerely of the heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does not will be repaid for that wrong. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray that as we have this message brought to us this morning that we will take it to our hearts and God will speak to us in a very special way through this scripture. Amen. Thank you, Sowan. On the way down. Very good. Well, obviously, we're continuing our series in Colossians this morning. And I want to start by saying that uh, this is one of the most controversial passages of Scripture that uh, is actually contained within the Bible. And I want you to be aware that it was incredibly controversial at the time that Paul actually spoke these words as well. And so we need to look at what is happening in the context way back in his day and understand what he was really saying and then bring it into today when so many people are offended by what is actually said in this passage of Scripture. And in all honesty, you have absolutely no need to be offended. What you need to be offended about is the way that man has twisted what God has said and taken out of context. What he was saying was actually a very good thing. And the reason why this was controversial was that Paul was actually given freedom giving freedom and liberty to wives, to slaves, to children. And that doesn't come across when we talk about this passage of Scripture so much these days. So let's just pause and pray and ask God for his wisdom and that our eyes will be open to what he says, not what I say in this passage this morning. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence in such a real and powerful way this morning. Thank you again for those who've gone through the waters of baptism and have obeyed you in making that public declaration of their faith. Lord, 
We're coming to a difficult passage of scripture. And Father, my fear is that my words will not be clear and will not say what you would have me to say this morning. Will you just speak clearly through me? Will you prepare the hearts of those who are here listening this morning, Lord? Will they hear your voice and understand just how incredible this passage of scripture is and how much freedom is given to us as a result? Lord, my desire is that your name be glorified here this morning. So reveal the truth of your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first section that Paul is talking about here is the husband and wives. I think that's pretty clear when we look at this passage of Scripture. And Colossians 3, 18 and 19 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So the first point this morning is wives submit to your husbands. And there's really no need to go any further, is there? Is that the way it's being preached to you guys? Is that the way we understand it where it's just like, Scripture says it, just do it women. Get over this problem. And really, there's a lot of guys who actually said there's nothing more to say about that. This is actually what you should be doing. And herein lies the problem. That is not what God means. And as a result of guys really pushing this verse of Scripture and skewing it and making it wrong, there's a lot of marital relationships that are in serious trouble. And those marital relationships do not reflect God's heart and desire for marriage within the Christian church. And in fact, God's heart and desire is for marriage to be like he says in his word, not only in the Christian church, but right across the world. And so this has been the basis of a lot of controversy within the church and it was certainly a foundation for a lot of controversy when Paul first said this. And we've used verses like this to beat women into submission. And it's been going on for way too long. It's not acceptable. It's not only a misrepresentation of what Paul was actually saying, it's abhorrent to God. It's evil. It's not right. And certainly not what God designed marriage to be. So many men think that it's about women obeying us. And as I've said, there's many marriages that do not reflect the love and unity that God always intended there to be in a Christian marriage. And when we think about what Paul is saying here, let's think back to Colossians 3.11. And it's clear to see that there's no hierarchy or pecking order in Christianity. Paul's gone to great lengths to show that there's no race, religious, cultural or social barriers in our faith. And if that doesn't convince you about what I'm trying to say here this morning, we can think about what he says in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ. All are equal. And in that passage that we looked at last week, we learned about the attributes that we were to put on. What were they? They were kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And over all of this was to be love. And when we think about every Christian supposedly putting those things on, what does that look like in the marital home? If I, as a husband, am supposed to be showing these attributes, how much more so with my family? And yet, for some reason, we think behind closed doors, what happens is totally different to what should be happening here on a Sunday. Guys, 
It should be happening at home more than it's happening in this place. That is the place where you lay the foundations for your life. That is the place where you show your children what it is like to live like a Christian man or woman. And Paul's saying that these attributes need to be exemplified in our relationships and interaction at home. They should be at their highest with those that we love and interact with the most. And so Paul has affirmed that all believers are equal in Christ. And that creates a huge problem, especially when you think about the situation that Paul is speaking to in the Colossian church there. Think about what's going on in the community around him. When he wrote this, husbands, men, were the only legal representatives of a household. No one else had a legal right. It was only the men. And he had power over their property. And he could do whatever he wanted with that. And he also had absolute, absolute authority over everyone in his household. And you know what? Guys coming to the temple, guys walking through the marketplace and things like that, would pride, pride themselves on how submissive and obedient their wives were. It was a topic of conversation. And you were a really good guy if your wife did absolutely everything that you said. Everything that you commanded. And that is not the Christian way. I hope that's been clearly indicated. But we've got a bit of a tension. We've got a bit of a problem. The call for wives to submit is undeniable in this passage that we've just read. Does anyone say that it's not there? Because it is undeniable. I believe women are called to submit. But this submission is a yielding to another. It's not just blindly obeying commands. It's not just giving in to every ridiculous request that is made and this submission this submission is motivated by love it's motivated by respect and the knowledge that the one that they are submitting to has their best interests at heart why why should it be that way because if the husbands are following all that God has told them to do they will be loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Why does everyone who pushed this passage of Scripture forget that little bit? And why do they choose not to think about how Christ loved the church? Let's look at Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. This gives us a fair idea of how husbands should love their wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish so when Paul says wives submit to your husbands he does so with an expectation that the husbands will love their wives as Christ loved the church and that means that they will think of their wives before themselves amen is, is that how Christ loves the church I believe that is how Christ loves the church they will be willing to sacrifice who they are in order to elevate her is that what Christ did for the church I believe he did I believe that's what he did for us and then in general conversation, in everything he does, when we think about a bride, has anyone ever seen a bride say, you know what, I'm going to dress down today. When I see my husband at the front of the church, you know those really raggedy jeans I wear when I do the yard work at home? I'm going to wear those. And that torn shirt I've got, I'm actually going to wear that. And I'm not even going to have a shower. 
Not for a week. Does anyone know a bride who did that? You know, and, and, and on that day, I, I, love, I, love, I love the grooms, you know, and, and I said to the guy, so you know what? When you're standing up the front there and you look down the aisle, she has dressed for you. That is the only day you will see her like that. Do not waste it. She, she has dressed for you. And I tell you what, I've never seen a bride who has not looked her best on that day. Never. And when we talk about Christ elevating his bride, the church, how much more me as a husband elevating my wife as my bride? And when we think about the fact that this, this woman is beautiful, oh my goodness, she has done this for me. I, I, I've just got to, I, I don't know how to respond to that. Does, does that change the way we look at our wives in our marital relationship? Does that, does that turn this on its head? Because Jesus elevates his church. He thinks the best of it. I mean, think about how I am, the sin that I commit. And Jesus still says, you know what, Charlie? He, Charlie is my son. And I value him. I hold him. I love him. Yeah, he messes up. He does some things that are really crazy and bad. But I'm going to hold him up. Because I love him. And I gave my life for him. And that is what we should be doing for our wives. That is what has been spoken about. And can I ask, is there any woman here today who would not submit to a man if he was like that? Think about that. A guy who puts her before himself. A guy who thinks about how she feels before he thinks about how he feels. A guy whose desire is to present her in splendor. That means he doesn't talk bad things about her ever. He always wants to elevate her and even when she does the bad things it's like you know what this is the woman who presented herself in such a way I was speechless on that day and I'm, I'm going to elevate her. I'm going to uphold her. She is my wife. And you know what? Husbands love your wives. I, I, I don't think I really need to say too much more. I'm really hoping you understand what I'm saying. But so you get it. Marriage is not about us as men ruling over our wives, having dominion over them. It's not about exercising our rights over them. But it is about pouring our love over our wives. Jesus pours his love, grace and mercy over the church continuously at all times, in all situations. When she looks her best and when she doesn't look so pretty. And we as husbands, you're going to wake up that first morning. No, we won't go there. But we are called to pour our love out upon our wives when they're at their best. And that's easy. It's awesome, isn't it? But you know what? We're also called to do it when they're at their worst. In sickness and in health, I think that's part of our marital vows. And we are called even more when they're at their worst, not at their best, to pour our love and grace and mercy and compassion into them. That's what the Lord calls us to do. Keep in mind with this in context, the wife... When she is asked to submit to her husband, there's an expectation that he will love her. You are not called to submit to tyranny and abuse, ever. That is not God's way. 
that is not his intention. So guys, that's the first thing that uh, Paul speaks about here. The second thing here is children and parents. And Colossians 3, 20 and 21 says, Children, obey your parents in everything. What happened there? There we go. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And again, think about the situation that Paul is writing into. Back in this day, you know, children were actually considered to be a possession. They were marginally above a slave, only just above a slave. And so the father of the household had control over those kids, regardless of what they wanted to do or say. And, you know, some people believe that children were actually worse off than slaves because with slaves, sometimes there had to be some ruling as to whether they should be put to death or not. But you didn't have to do that with a slave. You could sell off your kids if you wanted to. You could put them in prison without giving a reason as to why you would do... Dang. Anyway, sorry. You could put them in prison without giving a reason as to why you did that. You could even put them to death. And no one would question it. They were your kids. Do with them what you want. And so Paul addresses these children. Could you imagine how mind-blowing that was? This grown guy who has some authority is actually speaking directly to kids. He's elevated them to a position that they have never had before. This is truly revolutionary in the day. And when he says, obey your parents, there's nothing new in that. They're used to hearing that. But what undergirds this statement is that Paul is emphasizing something totally different to what's accepted. When we think about it, think about what was said back in Luke. And that's not the right passage. Sorry, no, sorry. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a servant or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him paul is addressing the children directly and he's kicking against the culture and the customs of the day and what was accepted and he's giving the children a voice here and he's saying to the parents if you know how to give your kids good gifts how much more will your heavenly father? He, he, he's saying that, you know, we treat our children well and we should be treating our children well. And Paul is saying that these children are responsible subjects in God's kingdom already. This is a warning. Write this down. Because if you forget this, you'll see Charlie's wrath. Children are not, repeat, not the church of tomorrow. They're not. They're the church of today. If they're part of this place... They are part of this church, and they are an incredibly valued part of this church. We just had a 10-year-old get baptized. That is awesome. And he made a declaration of faith, which I have heard some adults not make a declaration so strong. We need to value our children. We need to elevate them and lift them up. They are part of God's kingdom today. And you'll hear me use the term, I'll slap you up the side of a head with a smelly trout. If you say children are the church of tomorrow, that's what's going to happen. You've been warned, okay? So the command to children to obey their parents has this expectation that the parents will have the children's best interests at heart. Think about the passage that we looked at just before. This is what God intended. Think of the time when the disciples were turning the children away. Do you remember that story? And Jesus says, you know, let the children come to me. And do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And Paul's call for the children to obey their parents is a call to obedience in the Lord. 
When children live out obedience to the parents and they are living lives that are pleasing to God. What is also a subliminal message here is that the children's children obedience to God and their independent relationship with him overrides the parents. If the parents are going to do things that are ungodly, they must obey God first over their parents. That's not the obedience that this is talking about. It's not a blind obedience in doing whatever, God, or whatever the parents tell them to do. They have to honour God in the midst of their relationships as well. I believe this is why Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Now keep in mind when Paul is speaking, the father has rule over everyone within his household, the ability to sell off. So when we look at this, we should think parents, mums, dads, do not do anything to provoke your children. And think about what he says so far as the status of children and the cultural authority that the father had and everything like that. Fathers had absolute control and right over the lives of their children, even when they were married. And Paul gives us good illustration of the right way to treat your children as they grow into adulthood and mature and things like that. He identifies himself as the father of the Corinthian church. Do you remember that? And uh, he says in 4.15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then 4.21, What do you wish? Shall I come at you with a rod or with love? And a spirit of gentleness. And as their father, Paul does expect discipline, but he's, he, he's sorry, Paul expects obedience, but his discipline changes. And he comes to them with a discipline that's tempered with love, compassion, kindness, and patience. And what he's calling them to obey is the teachings of Christ. They're the things that we should be instilling in our households and at home. And so many families project unrealistic and ungodly expectations upon their children. How many of us know people who want their children to be in a certain career? I don't think it's unreasonable for me to want Rebecca to be an ophthalmologist because you see Elise wants to be a racing car driver and I can't pay for the car so if she's an ophthalmologist she can pay for the racing car. Works fine for me. But if I made that the absolute for Rebecca, where does she get freedom? Where does she follow God's leading and guidance in the midst of that? And we have this expectation that our kids are going to do what we tell them to do. Get a good career. That is the primary focus. And you know what? This is often at the cost of their Christian walk and life. I, I, I've got to tell you, I, I get crazy when parents get their kids to that time when they're studying and they say, you know what? Stay at home from church. Don't go to church. Stay home and study. You need to study. Or stay home from youth group. Don't go to youth group. You need to study. You know what they need to be doing in those times? They need to be gathering with their Christian brothers and sisters and say, you know what, I'm really struggling with the exams I'm going to be facing soon. Can we just pray together? Sure, pick them up as soon as the event finishes. But let them see that we keep telling them how important Christianity is and how important it is to trust God. And then the first time a little bit of pressure comes, we say, you know what, drop everything to do with Christianity and focus on your studies. It makes no sense. If we elevate... Christianity to here, that's where it needs to stay. It doesn't need to sway or change as things come up. That's what we should be encouraging our children to do. And of course there's exceptions. This isn't a blanket brushstroke, a covering of everything. There will be exceptions. But can you encourage your kids to be part of the church and to pray when they're in crisis, situa crisis situations? How many people want to live out the things that they've missed out on in their lives. And they think, well, my children are raising up now, so they're going to be that prima ballerina, or they're going to be this, or they're going to be that. And we push them into sports that they really don't want to play, because that's what we wanted to do when we were younger, and we didn't have the opportunity. 
And again, we're forcing them to mold and comply to something which they don't want to do. Where is their freedom of expression in their lives? And this is what Paul is saying. He's concerned that parents are going to provoke their children through nagging, belittling them, through forcing them to do things that they don't want to do. I lived a life where I was put down my entire life by my parents. Every achievement, every reward I had was destroyed. Anytime you did something, they always thought you were just trying to be better than them and they'd cut you down. It's not healthy. And I can, I can show you how my family, oh, I'm only here by God's grace, trust me. And it's just destroying to children to have that sort of attitude around them. And so there's this concern in the midst of this where parents are not willing to let their kids be people in their own rights. Can I encourage you, if you want to talk to my kids, get down on their eye level. Any kids, get down on their eye level and talk to them. You'll have incredible conversations with my kids because that's the way we've always taught them. They, they have a voice. They actually have an opinion. And they've blown us away so many times with some of the things they've said. And, you know, I stand up and go, why didn't I think of that? Becky was doing it from about five or six. She'd come up with these real complex answers to very interesting situations. And we'd be like, gee, I wish I had a thought of that. And it's amazing. If you take the time to talk to these kids we've got at church, they will do the same thing. Just get down on their level and talk to them. Ask them questions about what they learn in kids' church and things like that. And you'll be amazed at what they can tell you. So, so often these kids that have other expectations, not godly expectations, pushed and forced upon them. And they end up being discouraged and dispirited. And tell me what they're going to do when they get to an age where they can walk away. They're going to walk away from the church because it doesn't represent the hope that we say that it has. It doesn't give them the freedom in Christ that we say that it has. It ends up being just this thing we do on Sunday or when it's convenient. And we need to change that. Can I say too, for those who do speak down continuously to their kids and express how worthless and useless they are, they won't amount to anything unless God intervenes or we as a church step in and encourage those kids. We have opportunity to do that. And what you're doing is the opposite to what Jesus told us to do. And I've seen so many kids that I've worked with who are self-loathing, they have poor esteem. They're angry at the world. They lash out. They have no hope. They're suicidal. And our suicide rates in youth is horrendous. We need to be encouraging and strengthening them as much as possible. The example that we set will either be for good or for evil. And as Christians, I'd like to think that the example we set is going to be truly outstanding and these kids will want to grow up in the faith. If we want to see this church grow, the best way to do it is generationally, as our children grow up, that they will want to encourage their friends to come to this place. And they'll be excited about their faith because they can see a hope. They can see that we support them in all situations in their life and encourage and uphold them. Why wouldn't we want to be a part of that? Why wouldn't we want to encourage them? You know what? I know my messages have all been doom and gloom. I do apologize about that. But many of us have chosen to live out the gospel before our kids. And this is what Paul is calling for us to do. Show our kids that they are loved, accepted, and valued for who they are. And when you do that, there's, they just, I don't know, they just grow in this miraculous way and they start pushing boundaries in a good way. They're asking about how, how can I get involved in this? How can I get involved in that? And, and I'm just blown away that I can do that with my kids and I can sit down and have rational conversations with them about the things that are happening. You know, could you imagine how unsettling it is for a child to move from an area they know to a new church of a few hundred people? 
And we sit down with our kids and we said, you know what, we're moving to this new church. This is why we're moving. We believe God. And, you know, our kids react with, wow, God did all that. And this is what we want in our children. We want them to see God being lifted in our lives. And so when we pour our love out on our children, what is Christ's love? Christ's love is unconditional. You know, if, if I had to wait to be all scrubbed up and clean before Jesus loved me, I'd still be waiting. And I'll be waiting for all of eternity. But the love we pour out is unconditional. We don't expect a certain type of behavior. We don't expect a certain type of obedience. We don't expect any compliance before we pour that love out on our kids. In fact, we're told that that's the way we should love. Jesus loved me when I was totally unlovable, and he loved me anyway. And that's what we're called to do. You guys don't know me that well. I've had so many jobs, it's not funny. One of those jobs, I was part of a security team that was involved in apprehending shoplifters. And we apprehended this girl one day. She had taken... Keep in mind, this is like 20 years ago. She had taken a huge amount of undergarments and things like that. We are talking a couple of hundred dollars worth of gear. It was a massive amount of stuff. And so we had no choice. Once we'd apprehended this girl, we had to prosecute her. And trust me, when you work in this field, you get to know the ones that do this type of stuff habitually and the ones where this is totally out of character. I can tell you, this was totally out of character for this girl. She must have had a brain snap or something. I've got no idea what happened. So we apprehended this girl. We had her in an office. We had this security office officer, female, who showed no emotion whatsoever. She was like, with everything. And anyway, we get this girl into the room. I had to make the phone call to a mum because she was underage, so her mum had to be present before we started asking questions and things like that. The mother came in. The mother was in pieces. She was just bawling her eyes out, and she didn't even know the extent of what had happened. She was just so shattered that her daughter would actually do this. And so I said to her, look, if it's any consolation, this isn't habitual behavior in your daughter. I'm sure of that. I suggest her mannerisms, the way she speaks, the fact that she's incredibly remorseful already shows me that, that this isn't natural for her. And so I allowed her to compose herself a little. We went up to the office where we were holding her daughter. Opened the door. And this mother screams at her daughter, get on your feet. The security officer went to step in and I held her back because I actually, I don't know, maybe it was Holy Spirit. I just knew this was going to be okay. And I held the security officer back and this mother screamed at her daughter, get on your feet. And then she enclosed her in her arms. Her first words were, I love you. Here's a mother who has this daughter that's possibly done the most important thing for her and her family. Brought shame to her and her name. And she just wanted her to know that she loved her. Security officer lost it. <laughs> Only time I ever saw that, the whole time I worked there, six years. But isn't that a beautiful representation of how we should love our kids? Our kids are not going to be those perfect angels we'd like them to be. They're going to push the boundaries. They're going to test us. And we, when push comes to shove, have to show them Christ's love, even in the most difficult times. Final point, 
servants and masters. Now, guys, when we're talking about servants and masters, obviously that's not something that is relevant in, in today in, in our society. But I want you to think about what Paul was saying because so many people believe that Christianity condones slavery. And that's not, again, what Paul was saying here. So when you think about this too, think about yourself as the servant in working for an employee, an employer as well. Okay, so this is what Paul says here. Bond servants obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services, people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving in the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So when we look at this again, we need to understand the culture that um, Paul was speaking into. Most people believed that slaves were incapable of rational thought. They actually couldn't think of doing anything good. So when you think slave, you think about all the crimes that they are going to commit. There is no such thing as a good slave. That's the general thought in Paul's day. So they had this predisposition to dishonesty, wickedness, and general doing stuff wrong all the time. That's the way they were. And the result was that they were treated like witless and stupid children. I mean, they just couldn't do anything for themselves. They really were useless. Makes you wonder why they paid for them. Anyway, so they thought that these guys were just useless. And so without really firm, here, really firm discipline, these guys would just run off and do whatever they wanted. And so they had to be disciplined quite firmly. And if you didn't, well, they just give themselves over helplessly to whatever they wanted to control themselves. And it was never good. It was always bad. And so they were considered to be less than human, really. They, they weren't considered to be equal. And, and again, Paul turns this manner of thinking on his head. He's already said that there is no slave or free, so we are all one in Christ. So he's speaking to the masters and saying, now you've got to treat your slaves like an equal in Christ. He has to work with the structure that is present. And that's why he mentions the slave-master relationship. Not because he condones or believes that that is the right thing to do. But that's the culture that he's speaking into. And he addresses slaves directly. That's important too. He's elevated because no one speaks to slave unless they're telling them something to do. But he addresses the slaves. And he shows them that he believes them to be responsible human beings. He believes that that is what Christ would have them to do. And so he's saying, you are able to make right and good choices. You have the ability to do this, and I believe in you. And that's something that a slave never dreamed of, that someone would actually respect them in being able to make choices for themselves, which were good choices. And Paul tells the slaves to obey their earthly masters. Can you see the roller coaster here? It's like, great, Paul's talking to us. This is going to be awesome. Obey our masters, great. Nothing's changed. And when they thought about receiving from their masters, it was always a negative. It was about punishment. It was about being beaten. It was about losing privileges. And it gets worse. Paul says, whatever you do, do it as if your master's watching you all the time. So those nanoseconds that they used to get when the master wasn't watching them, that I would just have breathe for a little bit. Paul's saying, you can't do that anymore. You've actually got to... Work the whole time as if your master's hanging over your shoulder. And it gets worse. Paul says you have to work without an expectation of return. You don't do anything just to win favor from your master. You must work diligently the whole time, consistently. 
And as Christians, no matter what our station in life is, we are called to consistent, wholehearted service. Christians should never have a sickie where they're not actually sick. Don't tell me you have a right to it because even in the writing of sick days, you should be sick. We shouldn't be having sickies as a Christian. And we should be serving our earthly masters, our employers, diligently. And these guys are told to make sure the service they do, they're doing it as for the Lord. They are to work with sincerity of heart, fearing God. And Paul has transformed the motive of their service. The call for Christians is to do everything for the Lord. And so these slaves must work for their earthly masters as if they are working for him. And the master is not a substitute for the Lord, but they are encouraged to work as if for the Lord. And if they're willing to do this, they're promised a reward. Now again, Paul's gone back to saying, you know what? You're going to be rewarded for this. They had never worked with an expectation of a reward. They've never worked believing that they would receive something for what they have done. And Paul is telling them they're going to receive a reward. They're going to receive an inheritance. And this is something that they can be assured of. Because it's not one of their masters who says whatever he wants to get what they want out of them. This is the word of God. This is something they can bank on. And they're not used to it. These guys were property. They were traded, they were sold, and they were beaten if they didn't meet expectations. They had no rights or privileges. They were starved, they were locked up, they were chained up for various reasons. They were abused, they were assaulted. And it was the master's prerogative as to what was reasonable or acceptable. So if he beat one of them to death, the only thing people would think of him was, gee, that was a waste of property. Just like if we crashed our car. And so Paul speaks into this. And he says to the masters, treat your slaves in a right and fair manner. Be even-handed. Show impartiality. That, at that time, was literally insane. No one thinks about a slave like that. And this is what Paul calls them to do. And the masters are told, you likewise have a master in heaven. Think about the story of the servant who owed the master a billion dollars. And he was forgiven that. And then he goes out and beats up the one who owed him a day's wage. This is what it's talking about. That master in heaven, if you don't treat your, those who serve you in a reasonable manner, there will be a day of reckoning and it won't go well for you. So how does this apply for us today? It's interesting when we try to bring good biblical principles into our present day. And we mentioned Paul and people see him as a male chauvinist pig. I've actually had conversations recently where he is considered to be a male chauvinist pig or misogynist. And really, when we think about what we said this morning, that couldn't be further from the truth. We need to understand what Paul is on about. And the biggest protest comes because of Paul telling wives to obey their husbands. But he doesn't do this. I hope I've clearly indicated that. His call is focused on how to live within a cultural framework in the day while still being obedient to Christ and all parties bringing honour to him. Paul at the outset is trying to bring harmony into the marital relationship. He's trying to bring harmony into our Christian families. And we live 
in a world where divorce, separation and suicide as a result of bad relationships is skyrocketing. We need something to address this. And Paul does call for a special emphasis and focus on those who are weak or powerless when he speaks about the slaves, when he speaks about children, and yes, when he speaks about some wives. That's not saying that they can't do things for themselves, but we're told to treat them gently. We're told to uplift them. We're told to encourage and strengthen them. So from Paul's teaching and relation to our modern day, wives, children, slaves or employees are full members of the body of Christ and they need to be treated accordingly. We have spoken previously about the new nature and the new self that we are to put on in Christ. And what was that? That was the compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And over all of this love, how different would your households look? Your family look? If you resolve today to make your home the place where these attributes were expressed the most. Paul's appeal is to no longer be part of the pattern of this world but to live in a manner that expresses these virtues. There's no space in God's kingdom for self-assertion, only for self-giving. And if Jesus is our Lord, then his lordship should control our relationships, including our family relationships. And when we think of the example of Christ, then we have to acknowledge that his love for us was so deep that he valued and cherished us, even when there was nothing in us that was worth that. It was a love that was not based on emotion or feeling. It was a love that was expressed in him being willing to serve all and ultimately die in our place so we could have relationship with him. It, it, it's a love that is so incredible, it transforms the most impenetrable heart. Isn't that true? It's a love that is about caring for the other person more than myself. It's a love that does not coerce, it does not wound, it does not humiliate, it does not dominate. It's a love we desperately need in our families today. I'm just going to close in prayer. We're not going to sing anymore. I want you to think about what we've been called to this morning. How we are called to live in our families. And I know that many of us haven't lived that way. This is a time that you can confess before God, just privately. You don't need to come to the front. You don't need to raise a hand or anything. But I want to give you that opportunity where you can ask God into your relationships, into your life, so that you can live out what he's been teaching us through Colossians. That we can have Christian marriages and families that bring honour and glory to him. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. It is a powerful word. It is a challenging word. I thank you, Lord, that you spoke to me first and foremost as I read through this. And Lord, I pray for every Christian man and woman who is here today that they will understand that their relationships have to change. That, Father, it's you and then our family as far as our priorities are concerned. And within our families, Lord, we need to bring your love. We need to be godly men and women who speak into the lives of our children. We need to be loving husbands who will just elevate our wives and present them in splendor, Lord, and understand that our wives are, yes, a gift to us, Lord, but not a gift for us just to dominate and rule over. A gift for us to nurture, to grow in the faith, to present as that beautiful bride that you're growing your church to be.
So Father, this morning, I just pray for a change of heart. I pray that we will get what you have said this morning. I pray that I haven't got in the way of your voice, Lord. I pray that people will understand that you are calling them to change. And Lord, I pray for softened hearts to be willing to do that. And Lord, we as pastors long for people to come to us, to ask us to help them draw closer to you. That's what we want for every man, woman and child in this church. We want them to be grown in the faith. We want them to be serving you and understanding what that takes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, go well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he give you peace today and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.